Good morning, everybody. Welcome to an episode of Living Loud Outdoors, live on the mic, on the camera, from the office. It's Sunday. I hope you're having a great weekend. I hope you're getting ready, preparing to go to the house of the Lord this morning with corporate worship with other fellow believers. We need it, especially in these days. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says that not to forsake the assembling together of the body of the saints, of the believers, especially as we see the day approach. What day? His return. Jesus is coming back. We need to be ready. We need to pull others together with us, uh, fulfilling that great commission to go into all the world, preach the gospel, and lead others to Jesus. That's the key element there. That has absolutely nothing to do with my sermon. That's just for free. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a message with you this morning. It's heavy. There's a lot. I've got a lot of notes here, but I'm going to get through it because I believe it's very important for us to really understand where we are in this fight today, where we are in the midst of these end days, these end times, this this moment in time that, that God's allowing us to see. So our title today, Has Your Bubblegum Lost Its Flavor? I know, kind of a comical title. As a child, in, in my early days of life, I loved those big, long sticks of green apple bubblegum. You know what I'm talking about? That great big stick that was big old long stick of bubblegum, and you were supposed to just bite off a little as you went through the day. Yeah, we always had a thing about seeing who could get that whole stick in their mouth and chewed up, which it was accomplished more than one time. But, like, you chew that bubblegum for a couple of minutes, maybe, and it's gone, right? The flavor's gone. I'm pretty sure that's why they gave it to you in a great big old stick, because you'd bite off a little bit, chew it for a minute, spit it out, get you another bite so the flavor would continue, right? Because it would lose its flavor very quickly. Some of today's gums are maybe a little better. Uh, maybe their last flavor lasts 5, 10 minutes or so. But most of those guys are like some sort of breath mint gum. Good old souped up bubble gum still loses its flavor way too fast. They have yet to figure out how to keep flavor in a piece of gum until you're just tired of chewing it. No, you got to throw it out because there's nothing left there to taste and it just gets stiff, right? Well, right now, you know what I'm talking about here. We're, but what I want to talk about is how this reflects on how we are with the church today. How does chewing bubble gum reflect with the church today? You shouldn't be chewing gum in church, right? Unless it's a breath gum. That's a good idea to chew a breath gum while you're in church. We have a tendency to test the water. We, we go to a church. We, maybe, maybe, maybe it's one we grew up in. Maybe not. Maybe it's just one we visit. And basically what we're doing is we're tasting it. How long does the flavor last before we spit it out and go to the next one? So we bounce around from place to place just for the rush of the flavor. Maybe the mix. Maybe it's better music, better atmosphere. Well, they got a legit coffee bar at this church. But as soon as it gets down to business, I'm out. And I will say this. There are way too many churches today um, who aren't getting down to business. It's simply about that flavor, that attraction, that holding you there, trying to make that flavor last as long as possible to keep you uh, entertained instead of challenging you to become a better man or woman of God that God intended you to be to begin with. The Bible indicates that there will be a great apostasy during the end times. The, the great apostasy is mentioned in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. The King James Version calls this, they falling away. 
The New International Version and the ESV call it the rebellion. And that's what an apostasy is. It's a rebellion. It's an abandonment of the truth. It, it's, a, it's a turning away from what we know is right and letting someone feed us something palatable that, that we'll chew on longer because it's easier to handle. The end times will include a wholesale rejection of God's revelation, a further falling away of an already fallen world. We're already a mess, right? And it's going to get worse. The occasion of Paul's writing to the Thessalonians was to correct some of the errors concerning the end times that the believers of that day had heard from false teachers. There were false teachers even in that day. Among the falsehoods was that the day of the Lord has already come, 2 Thessalonians 2.2. The Christians in Thessalonica were afraid that Jesus had already come. They had missed the rapture and they were now in the tribulation. It's an interesting thought. I can remember a day as a kid when I got home and nobody was there. It was just me. I lived in the country, so it wasn't like there was neighbors nearby. Nearest neighbor was better than a half a mile to a mile away. And I got scared because I, I knew, I mean, I was raised in, in church. I was raised in these things. And so the first thing that crossed my mind is Jesus is coming. I didn't make it. It scared me. Of course, we didn't have cell phones. I couldn't call my mama. I couldn't call nobody. You know, it's like, I didn't know what to do. I, mean, I was scared to death till people actually started coming home, you know, and, and, and it was it was a terror for me because I really felt like I'd been left behind. But this And this is what these guys are talking about in here in Thessalonica. Somebody had told them that Jesus already come and they'd been left behind. So they're a mess. Paul had already explained the rapture to them in his first letter, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17. It says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a shout of command with the voice of the archangel and with the blast of the trumpet of God, and he and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain on the earth will simultaneously be caught up together with them and re resurrected ones in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. So it's, he's, he's trying to explain this to him again. Paul writes his second letter to assure them that contrary to what they have heard, and despite the persecution that they were enduring, the day of Christ had not yet come. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3-4, Paul makes it clear that the day of the Lord, a time of worldwide judgment, will not transpire until two things happen first. The falling away, or the great apostasy, must occur. And second, the man of lawlessness must be revealed. He who is called the son of perdition, also known as the Antichrist, once this person makes himself known, the end times will indeed have come. Verse 3 says, Let no one in any way deceive or entrap you, for that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first, that is, the great rebellion, the abandonment of the faith by professed Christians. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, the Antichrist, the one who is destined to be destroyed, who opposes and exalts himself so proudly and so insolently above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he actually enters and takes his seat in the temple of God, publicly, publicly proclaiming that he himself is God. Numerous speculations about the identity of the man of sin, beginning in the first century, have included people like uh, Caligula, Caius Caesar, Mohammed, Napoleon, and any number of Roman popes, none of them of which were the Antichrist. 
The man of lawlessness, according to 2 Thessalonians 2, 4, is the one who will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Clearly, this has not yet happened. No one since Paul's time has set himself up as God in the Jewish temple. 2,000 years have passed since the epistle was written, and the day of the Lord has not yet come. Paul assures us that it will not come until the falling away comes first. Now, this Greek word translated rebellion or falling away in verse 3 is apostasia, from which we get the English word apostasy. It refers to a general defection from the true God, from the Bible, and from the Christian faith. A defection from those. That's an apostasy, a falling away. Every age has its defectors. But the falling away at the end times will be complete and worldwide. The whole planet will be in rebellion against God and his Christ. We're close. We see a lot of rebellion against the truth of God. Every coup requires a leader. And into this global apostasy will step the Antichrist. We believe this takes place after the church has been raptured from this earth. So in other words... You know, the tribulation comes following the, the taking away or the catching up of, of the believers. Jesus warned the disciples concerning the final days in Matthew 24, 10 uh, through 12. It says, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because of the increase of wickedness and the love of most will grow cold. Wow. We're seeing it. It's happening. There's a portion of that taking place right now. We're seeing the love of many grow cold. We're seeing this falling away of many believers, defectors, believing a lie. These are the characteristics of the great apostasy at the end times. Apostasy from the Greek word apostasia means a defiance of an established system or authority, a rebellion, an abandonment, or breach of faith. In the first century world, apostasy was a technical term for political revolt and defection. Just like in the first century, spiritual apostasy threatens the body of Christ today. To fully identify and combat apostasy, Christians should understand its various forms and the traits that characterizes the, the doctrines and teachers as to forms of apostasy. There's two main types. One, a falling away from key and true doctrines of the Bible in the heretical teachings that claim to be the real Christian doctrine. We see some of this. We, there's a lot of false teaching that comes into play here. Secondly, a complete renunciation of the Christian faith, which results in full abandonment of Christ. Now, <clears throat> Arius was a priest known for the doctrine of Arianism. It represents the first form of apostasy a denial of key Christian truths, such as the divinity of Christ, basically denying Christ being God's son. That begins a downhill slide into full departure from the faith, which is the second form of apostasy. The second form almost always begins with the first. A heretical belief becomes a heretical teaching that splinters and grows until it pollutes all aspects of a person's faith. And then the end goal of Satan is accomplished, which is complete falling away from Christianity. There's a lot of people who have fell from Christianity that that might not necessarily be um, gone forever. 
they've turned their back on their faith, there are many things that can turn that back around. The characteristic of apostasy, apostasy and apostates. Jude was the half-brother of Jesus and a leader in the early church. In this New Testament letter, he outlines how to recognize apostasy and strongly urges those in the body of Christ to contend earnestly for their faith. It's Jude chapter 1, verse 3. I want to read that to you. It, it says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Not once and for all. It was one time delivered for all of the saints. So the gospel, the, 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 the faith which was once delivered to everyone. We've all been given it. The Greek word translated contend earnestly is a compound verb which we get the word agonize. It is in the present infinitive form, which means that the struggle will be continuous. So it's in a present form. In other words, Jude's saying that there will be a constant fight against false teaching and that Christians should take it so seriously that we agonize over the fight in which we are engaged. Moreover, Jude makes it clear that every Christian is called to this fight and just not just church leaders. So it is critical that all believers sharpen their discernment skills. We've been talking a lot about discernment so that they can recognize and prevent apostasy in their midst. We need to understand the word of God and we need to understand how to discern the spirit well. After urging his readers to contend earnestly for the faith, Jude highlights the reason. He says this in verse 4, For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand uh, marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. There are some in this world today who still do not believe in the deity of Christ. In this one verse, Jude provides Christians with three traits of apostasy and apostate teachers. First, Jude says that apostasy can be subtle. Apostates have crept into the church. In extra-biblical Greek, the term Jude uses to describe the cunning craftiness of a lawyer who, through clever argumentation, infiltrates the minds of the courtroom officials and corrupts their thinking. That's a great way to look at that. The word literally means slip in sideways, come in stealthily, sneak in. In other words, Jude says it's rare that apostasy begins in an overt and easily detectable manner. It's not something that just comes in blatantly exposing itself. Instead, it looks like the Arius doctrine. Only a single letter, the iota, differentiates the false teaching from the true. Describing this aspect of apostasy and its underlying danger, A.W. Tozer wrote this, So skilled is error at imitating truth that the two are constantly being mistaken for each other. It takes a sharp eye these days to know which brother is Cain and which brother is Abel. What a great example. The skilled error imitating truth. That's, it's, it's, it's definitely what we see today. There's lots of things we're being told, lots of things we're being taught today that supposedly are being taught as truth, and, they, and they, they're hard to recognize. They're hard to differentiate between the two. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
The Apostle Paul also speaks to the outwardly pleasing behavior of apostates in their teaching. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13 through 14. In other words, do not look for apostates to appear bad on the outside or speak dramatic words or of heresy on the outset of their teaching. Rather than denying truth outright, apostates will twist it to fit their own agenda. But as Pastor R.C. Linsky has noted, the worst forms of wickedness consist in perversions of the truth. This is, this is good. We need to understand this. That this apostasy, this falling away, is going to be created by perversion of truth. Someone's going to take truth and twist it. We see it. We understand it. It, it, it. Satan did it. Satan did it when he tempted Jesus. He took truth and he twisted it. He perverted it. How did, how did Jesus combat that? With truth, real truth, scripture, untwisted, unperverted. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm having troubles here. <clears throat> Second, Jude describes apostasy as ungodly and as those who use God's grace as a license to commit unrighteous acts. Again, it's it's something if you delved into it, you would see. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'll have to take a drink. <clears throat> Beginning with ungodly, Jude describes 18 unflattering traits of apostates. They are ungodly. Jude, verse, uh, Jude 1 verse 4 says, morally perverted, denying Christ. Ones who defile the flesh is in verse 8. Rebellious, people who revile angels who are ignorant about God, those who proclaim false visions. Verse 10, self-destructive, grumblers, fault finders in verse 16, self-satisfying, people who use arrogant words and false flattery, mockers of God in verse 18, those who cause divisions in verse 19, and worldly-minded, and finally, and not surprisingly, devoid of spirit, unsaved. Those are the descriptions of, of the apostates, the ungodly. Third Jude describes or says apostates deny only our master and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how does somebody do this? How would someone who is considered an apostate deny Christ? Paul tells us in this letter to Titus, to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, <clears throat> but their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. It's Titus chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. Through their unrighteous behavior, the apostates show their true selves. Unlike an apostate, a true believer is someone who has been delivered from sin to righteousness in Christ and who refuses to continue in sin. Romans chapter 6, verse 1-2. What should we say to all of this? Should we continue in sin and practice sin as a habit so that God's gift of grace may increase and overflow? Certainly not. How can we? The very ones who died to sin continue to live in it any longer. It's, it's, not, it's not something that we can do. If we die to sin, we're cleansed from it. We're set free. The truth sets us free. We don't need to hang out there. Ultimately, the sign of an apostate is that he eventually falls away and departs from the truth of God's word and his righteousness. The Apostle John signifies this as a mark of a false believer. 
They went out from us. They were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they are all not of us. That's 1 John 2, 19. They went out from us. They left the, the faith. They, they, they walked away. We see this. We, we see this in this church bouncing that I talked about earlier. Man, I don't like how he's, I don't like that truth. I, don't, I, I want something more palatable. I, I don't want you challenging me. I don't want you messing with my life. I don't want you making me think i got to change something. I, I, I want you to just leave me alone, let me drink my coffee, and make me feel good. I actually had a, a person tell me that uh, in one of my earliest youth pastor's positions. I would often open our services up with some jokes or something laughable. But then I might open something up that would make you cry, to really dig into your heart. And and he told me one day, hey, man, leave that heavy stuff out. We don't want that. Just make us laugh. It's never left me. I can still see the face of the man saying that to me that day. He was a church leader. He was actually on board. That's sad. Just make us laugh. Just make us feel good. That's not what the gospel is about. The gospel is to challenge our life to a better life with Christ, to abandon this worldly way and live a life of Christ. Sometimes that is painful. Sometimes it is sadness. Sometimes sometimes it is laughter. But it's not always just feeling good. I've got to find, find myself here. Every New Testament book except Philemon contains warnings about false teaching. Every single one. Why is this? Simply because ideas have consequences. Right thinking and its fruit produce goodness, whereas wrong thinking and its accompanying action results in undesired penalties. Satan did not come to the first couple in the garden with an external armament of visible weapon. Instead, he came to them with an idea. And it was that idea embraced by Adam and Eve that condemned them and the rest of humankind with only the remedy being the sacrificial death of God's son. He, he didn't come at them with anything but smooth words. He came at them using the truth that God had spoke to them, but he twisted it. And he made them think for themselves instead of thinking about what God would do here. And, and, and he twisted that truth until... They gave in. The great tragedy is that knowing or unknowingly, the apostate teacher dooms his unsuspecting followers. That was his intention. He intended to doom mankind. He intended to put that thorn in there. Speaking of to his disciples about the religious leaders of his day, Jesus said, Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Matthew 15, 14. Alarmingly, it is not only false teachers who go to destruction, but their disciples who follow them. You realize that the word disciple is simply follower. You can be a disciple of anything. You can follow anything. We need to be disciples of Christ. We need to be followers of Christ. You hear me often say, I don't even use the word Christian anymore because it's been so adulterated, so watered down, so messed up. I, I prefer to use, I'm a follower of Christ. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm following him. Christian philosopher Soren Kierkegaard put it this way, For it has never yet been known to fail that one fool, when he goes astray, takes several others with him. That's good teaching right there. We understand that. That usually one fool 
gathers some followers, and they all go the wrong way. We see it happen constantly, especially today in this world we live in. In AD 325, the Council of Nicaea convened primarily to take up the issue of Arius and his teaching. Much to Arius' dismay, the end result was his excommunication and a statement of the Nicene Creed that affirms Christ's divinity. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of all things, visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the only begotten of his Father, to the substance of the Father God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with one Father. So in this, they denied this belief that, that Jesus wasn't who he said he was, and they confirmed in their in their creed that he was, in fact, God as well as the Son of God. Arius may have died centuries ago, but his spiritual children are still with us to this day in the form of many religious cults. That's, that's the best way to put that. There are many religious cults out there today, and and, and I'm not going to name them off here, but I'm, I'm just saying they deny Christ's essence of a, as a person. They deny who Christ was. There are many teachings who believe he was just a good teacher, that he was a prophet, but they deny the fact that he was the Son of God. And in doing so, they deny the blood of Christ covering them. They will not do well with that. Sadly, until Christ returns and every last spiritual enemy has been removed, tares such as these will be present among the wheat. Matthew 13, uh, 24 through 30 talks a lot about the tares and the wheat, sowing and the reaping there. In fact, Scripture says apostasy will only get worse as Christ's return approaches. At that time, the latter days, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another, Matthew twenty four ten. We understand that passage of Scripture because we're seeing it today. Paul told the Thessalonians that a great falling away would precede Christ's second coming, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, and at the end of times would be characterized by tribulation and hollow religious charlatans. We see a lot of that today as well. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through, 1 through 2 and verse 5 says, But realize this, that in these last days difficult times will come, for men will be holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. We don't need to follow someone who denies the power of Christ. It's critical now more than ever that every believer pray for discernment. We need to have an understanding to combat apostasy and contend earnestly for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. Now, I've added a footnote to this as I close. <clears throat> Even as many are falling away, even as many are, are, are seemingly leaving the church today, walking away. There's there's a lot of reasons there that could be a whole other sermon. The reason a lot are leaving our churches today is because they're not getting any truth. They're getting a watered-down version that will not hold them there. There's often people say, oh, well, you know, if you preach like the old days, people won't even show up to church. Hogwash. When the truth is set free, it will set the lost free. Speak the truth with boldness and with confidence and with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, you cannot go wrong. Pastors, I'm speaking to you right now. Get rid of these washed out, feel good messages and get into the word of God, get into the meat of God. There, there's a warning time. This is it. This is a time of gathering. We're talking about revival. Lord, we want revival. Do you? 
because to, to be revived means you're coming back from the dead. Whatever's dead in your church, whatever's dead in your ministry, whatever's dead in your body, God's going to revive that. Are you ready for that? Because revival means that the pews are going to be full of, of what we might consider the unworthy, the, 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 the prostitute, the drunkard, the drug addict, the, the Spirit of God's calling them out, calling them to Him right now. He's calling out to those who have left their faith behind somewhere. They're, they're no better than anybody else. Pastors, we've got to learn to speak the truth with obedience to the Lord. Holy Spirit, you have the room here today. Fill this house. Change our lives. Change our heart. God, we cry out for revival. We want your holy presence more than anything else. Even as many are falling away, revival is pouring out. And thousands are coming to know Christ. The truth, the truth will set them free. Surrendering to the Lord. I'm hearing stories after stories of Muslims who Jesus is showing up in their room. Like they're, 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 they might start praying to their God, Allah, and Jesus shows up and they're having, a, they're having an encounter with God that changes them forever. It's happening all over the world. It can happen here, but we have to pursue his truth through surrender to Christ. He will win and we who are with him will win this war. It doesn't happen any other way. The, the great falling away, understand what it means. And understand our role in this. We are, we are the messenger. We're the carrier of the fire. We're, we're the ones who, who revival has got to start right here in me. It's got to start in my heart. And, and then it can consume my home. And then we can carry that fire to the church. It can consume the church. It comes from desperate, desperate cries of desperate people crying out for God to move. Crying out for truth, not the false stuff that we're being taught today. I'm challenging you to find truth. Amen. Let God open your heart up today to see the things that he wants you to see. Get in his word and, and, and dig deep until he sets you free today. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for hanging in there with me. I know this is kind of a long-winded one. Been doing that a little bit lately. God's pouring out. His spirit is present. Find your way to a house of worship this morning. Worship cor corporately. Cry out for the Holy Spirit to fall in that place. Rhonda and I pray desperately over wherever we're going that the Holy Spirit has the room, that he has the floor. What a powerful word that is. Lord, you have the room. God, we give you the floor today. We yield to you today in everything that we ask for. Have your way in this place today, Lord. Have your way in our hearts today in Jesus' name. We love you. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your prayers. If you want to do so, you know how to find our giving links all on our website or pinned to our Facebook page. Continue to pray with us. Walk with us in this journey as we seek out that which is lost so that it may be found. Amen. God bless you. We will talk to you again real soon.